Well, good morning, South Everett. How are we doing? Good to see you this morning. We're going to dig right in. Uh, we'll be studying, beginning a, a series this week. Uh, it'll be an eight-week series in the book of First and Second Peter, entitled Faithful. So if you want to open your Bibles to First Peter, we're going to be in chapter 1, verses 1 through 12 today. My friend and mentor, Jeff Lilly from Seattle's Union Gospel Mission, often told me that there is wisdom to be gleaned from every moment that we have in life. Now, this is a conditional reality, which means that it's true, and that is true. However, it's going to require something of us. So if we want to glean wisdom, it is there for the taking. If we commit ourselves to paying close attention to all of our experiences, the good ones, the bad ones, and the mundane ones, and if we process the experiences that we have and learn well from them, wisdom will be the ultimate outcome. So collecting nuggets of wisdom over a sustained period of time will eventually make us wise. And Jeff said, if I want to be wise when I'm 85... I got to get started now because you don't get wise in an instant. He said a lot of times our bodies in life will fail. But if we move along and move forward and stay wise and keep our minds right to the best of our abilities, we'll have something to offer even when our bodies fail to the next generation of people. Wisdom, something that's offered to us. And so a nugget of wisdom this morning, and I've learned in conjunction with this series, and it will tie through all the themes of this series, is that there's a tremendous amount of fun in the winning. Don't we know that, right? Super Bowl 48. Just remember, going back, there's tremendous fun in the winning, but a lot of learning comes in the losing. Like the levels of idolatry that existed in my heart about our NFL football team didn't come to the surface when we were winning because I was living in the midst of all the fun and idolatry. But boy, when we lost in 49, Super Bowl 49, I could sense that there was an overwhelming amount of devastation going on in me given what we had. And we lost a football game, right? <laughs> and so there was a lot to be learned in those moments, but the learning comes in the losing. Loss and hardship are the manufacturing plants for grit and determination. Those are the things I think Peter is going to want us to learn. So pain and suffering and trials and setbacks and disappointments are a part of life. That's what we know to be the, tr- the truth. And it's important that we know that it's not up to us to waste these parts. We don't want to skirt around these kinds of opposition, but we want to persevere. So perseverance and character and eternal hope are strengthened and purified in the blazing furnace of pain and trial and setback. Don't we know that to be the truth? Right? It's in those moments where we grow stronger. And so we're going to spend some time over the next eight weeks, as I mentioned, going through the books of First and Second Peter in a series called Faithful. What do we mean by faithfulness? We want to remember above anything else that Jesus is faithful to his people. Jesus is faithful to his people regardless, no matter what. And he leads his people through suffering and temptations. So when we're going through suffering, when we're going through temptations, we know that Jesus is leading us through those things to give us strength to persevere. Amen? So what is asked of us in return? 
if Jesus is going to be faithful in those things, what's asked in return? Simply this, that we would reciprocate that same kind of faithfulness. That we would be faithful in those areas, in the soils of hardship, we would find ourselves to be faithful. So part one in this series is titled, Trials and Smiles. First, Peter shed light on two critical aspects. We have these up here, John. Two critical aspects for the earliest church, the earliest believers to follow. The key themes in this, in this book is that one, something incredible was accomplished through Jesus' undeserved suffering. And it's important to remember that the suffering Jesus went through was undeserved. It was our suffering that he took on his behalf and that Peter understood that enduring pain was part of the plan. Jesus endured it. We were called to go after him. Even though it wasn't deserved for him, it might have been deserved for us, but he took it for us. And then in light of that, with the power of the Holy Spirit, we go out and we endure suffering and pain and hardship as a part of the plan. Peter also knew that pain and enduring hardship without learning from the hardship that we went through wasn't wisdom. There's nothing worse than going through a hard season in life and not learning from it. Amen? Think about that. When I think about hardship now in my life, I think less about, God, why do I got to go through this? Because it's really easy to complain about stuff like that. It's not so much a why question for me anymore. It's a what. And so as I enter into these seasons, one, I'm not surprised because the gospel promises that I'll go through them as I follow him. And two, I can get through all that clutter and get to the why, or not the why, but the what, as quickly as possible. Okay, God, this is a trial. What am I supposed to learn through this? And then the who, who is who's watching? Because our faith isn't proven through all the vacations we take and the raises we get and the days without conflict. Anyone ever watched a movie where there was no conflict? There's nothing to it. Conflict is what proves the genuineness of God's faithfulness. So when we're going through it, it's not the why so much as the what and then the who. Who's watching this? Who's watching me trust God in the midst of very difficult situations in my life? Through the pain, through the suffering that Peter endured, Peter came to discover that through the death of Jesus, three things, right? Through the death of Jesus, and he was there, we gain access to a new grace that resets our relationships. That's what we get. We get access to new grace that resets our relationship with God. That's what the dying part did. Secondly, we know that through the resurrection of Jesus, we are given a new life, a gift of new life. So we're set free from the old one. We're given a brand new one, a brand new family. Our names are written into God's last will and testament. That's what comes. And then thirdly, through the ascension of Jesus, He proves that He has authority over all things. And so, this will be the driving message behind our series for the next eight weeks. That we know that through His death, we will have a fresh start with God. It means we know who we are. When we go through a trial, if we forget who we are, that starts the downward spiral. In the midst of trial, if we forget that we are His and that He died for us, that's the beginning of the downward spiral. But if we remember who He is in His death, who we are through His death, we remember that through His resurrection we're adopted into His family. That means we know who we are and where we fit. 
where we go. And then through his ascension and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we can live our lives in the face of opposition with an unmatched confidence. That's the biggest part, is what we're able to do when we remember these three things. That we can face trials, and we can even say humbly but confidently, bring it on. As opposed to skirting these issues, going around them, saying, oh, I don't want to deal with that part, or I'm going to take the easy route around. But we go through it with a sense of confidence. So we know that something incredible was accomplished through Jesus. Secondly, First Peter sheds light on this, that Jesus' undeserved suffering has an implication for me as a follower of him. That's what we just talked about. This is a systems check. Knowing who we are, knowing where we belong, and knowing what we have in store for our future is a system check for courageous belief. That's what's required of this generation of believers is courageous belief. People that will stand up in the face of relative truth in a post-Christian world that says, well, you know, it's probably all things will get you to heaven. Or it doesn't really matter what you do. God just loves you how you are. And he does. But there's truth that says, no, there is one way through Jesus Christ. And all are welcome, by the way. It's exclusive and it's all-inclusive. That's important to remember for us more in a world that is confused about truth. The claims of Jesus are exclusive. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. However, it's all-inclusive in the sense that God said, I want no one to perish. I am patient, desiring everyone, everyone, every tribe, people, nation, and tongue, every one of them to come to Christ. Because the battle rages between the Muslim people and the Buddhist people and the Hindu people. And we're a part of that too. We're not free from blemish in our history as a faith people. But Jesus says, you're all part of my family. And don't we hate it when our kids fight with each other? That's a perspective on God's heart. What can we do to be a part of the healing process? Courageous belief. So in 2012, the pop rock band, The Script, wrote a popular song called Hall of Fame. These guys, that guy. The song suggests that there are certain things that are afforded to us when we make it into the Hall of Fame. We heard all about those things in the song. Certain things, if you make it into the Hall of Fame, this is what you get. This is who you are. And in many ways, this song echoes the themes of Peter's message that we're talking about in this series and his encouragement to the first century church that was scattered all across Asia Minor. That's who he was speaking to, which is now modern-day Turkey. My favorite long in the line in the song sums up Peter's message well. You can go the distance. You can run a mile. You can walk straight through hell with a smile. Smiles and trials. But this is what you can do if you're in the Hall of Fame. You can just breeze through all that because there's a confidence. Just like the song, Living in the Hall of Fame, there are certain things that are afforded to us as followers of Jesus when we endure hardship and confess His Lordship. Endure hardship, confess His Lordship, and things will be afforded to us as followers of Jesus. We know that our sins are paid for. That's something, these are the benefits. We know that our sins are paid for. We know that we are adopted into a family. And we know that our names are written into the will. 
How much confidence comes when we know those things, that nothing we've done in the past can hold us back because of the grace of Jesus. And we belong to a family, even if we've been rejected from our blood family. This is a family of every tribe, nation, people, and tongue gathered in this room from all kinds of backgrounds, and we've all been brought in together. Not of our own volition, of our own ability, but because of the grace of Jesus. And we've been written into the will. Anyone got an inheritance waiting for them? Some people in this life, sometimes it's just good to know that someone has gone before you. That's going to open up a way for you. Now, not everybody gets an inheritance in this life, but we all have an inheritance waiting for us in heaven. That work has already been done for us. So the Hall of Fame speaks of opportunities that opposition creates. And so does the Gospel. We know that opposition is also like a truth serum. Right? Opposition makes us tell the truth. Maybe not with our words, but with our actions. Every time we face opposition, our life is proven through our actions. How do we respond to the hard stuff? What happens to our words? What happens to our thoughts? What happens to our actions? What happens to our integrity and our character? All those things are tested in the furnace, and it's God's intent that we would be proven true. And that takes practice. We're not going to get it right the first time. But the more we know that opposition is coming, the more we'll be ready for it, and the the more we'll know how to behave when we get there to those points of opposition in our lives. When facing opposition head-on, we will endure or we'll cave into sin. Peter, the author of our text and the character of this narrative over the next seven, eight weeks, Peter endured. That's something to remember. He proved himself and he endured. So who was Peter? Here's a modern day idea of what Peter was like. He was a tradesman. No degree whatsoever. He was a fisherman, an outlandish fisherman to say the least. He was the one who acted before thinking. Right? The one who rebuked Jesus on multiple occasions because he didn't think Jesus knew what he was doing. He's the one who epically collapsed under the pressure of the crowd and denied his association with Jesus when he went to the cross. But this is also the one who possessed an unrefined kind of wisdom and discernment. Peter did. He made so many mistakes, but it was just like, man, this guy has the seeds of something. Really great, and I think that's why Jesus picked him. Not because of who he had become, but because of who he would become under the influence of Jesus. Run that through your paradigm the next time you're looking for a new disciple out there in the neighborhood. Run that through your paradigm the next time you show up at City Life and see a kid that's there for the first time that a month earlier was chasing, running, dodging from bullets on Casino Road. These are real stories. Change our paradigm on who we're looking out for. Who has the seeds of something awesome? Those are the next leaders of South Everett Foursquare Church. Not the ones that have it together already, or think we do. It's the ones that are unrefined. But there's a seed of wisdom there. And we're thinking, I bet God could do something in that person's life. Through hardship, through trial. Jesus kept Peter close. Like, really close. He was one of the three that was the closest to Jesus during his time on earth. Jesus showed Peter things he didn't show the other disciples. The transfiguration on the mountain, which Tyrone spoke about 
month and a half ago, that podcast is a, it's a great message. But Peter saw stuff that not everyone else saw. It's what happens when you endure hardship. You get to see cool stuff. You get to see stuff that you would never see if you didn't deal with the pain. That you can take to the bank all day long. So if you want to see some cool stuff, keep pursuing the hard places where God is calling you into. Even if it's painful. Even if it's really painful. Peter was the first one to profess Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. So Peter had moments of brilliance. And he had moments of confounding idiocy. It was like, what are you thinking? He was that. And Peter was unqualified, right? Peter suffered under the influence of outrage, especially when he cut the ear off of the soldier when Jesus was... He was outrageous. He was unqualified. And he was used by Jesus to spin into motion the church as we now understand it being in this room today. This is a true fact. If we did enough work... Maybe Ancestry.com could help us with this, but maybe not because that's a different kind of family, right? We have bloodline families, and then we have Jesus bloodline families, which means I got mothers and fathers and aunts and uncles that aren't related to me by blood, but he shed his blood for all of us, so we're family. If this gospel is true, and I would suggest that it is, strongly suggest with my whole life that this is true, we can trace our lineage all the way back to Peter. Some, Peter told somebody who told somebody who told somebody who told somebody who told you that God has saved us from the pit of hell. That's true. It started with Peter when he made a confession. He says, upon the basis of that confession, I will build my church, Peter. And you're still going to deny me yet. That's right. I haven't put the Holy Spirit in you yet. So we'll get all figured out a little bit later down the line. What drove Peter to write this letter? Well, he had seen Jesus with his eyes. See, he'd been with Jesus and he touched Jesus. He heard the teachings of Jesus with his ears. He confessed Jesus with his mouth. He tasted opposition and he denied Jesus. He was restored by Jesus. Peter went through hell with Jesus and came away smiling on the other side. That's the life of this disciple. Peter knew the power of community because he'd been out of it and then in it and then out of it and then invited back and then really invited into it when the Holy Spirit came. You can read his story all throughout the Gospels. In fact, Peter is talked about more in the Gospels than anyone else outside of Jesus and in the book of Acts. Peter is the central, one of the very central focuses especially in early Acts until Paul comes. Then Paul carries the narrative forward. But Peter's talked about a lot. And I like it because my life, I resonate with him. Because I have moments of brilliance and moments of confounding idiocy. And I've told you before I'd make a great follower of Jesus if I'd ever get behind him. I'm a work in progress. We all are. He knew the power of community. He wrote this letter to further develop the community of people who would be submitted to God's call on their lives, who would boldly proclaim Christ in the midst of fierce and even life-threatening opposition. That's why Peter wrote this letter. He said, I've been out there, it was hard, but it's the best thing I've ever been through, and y'all got to come with me. He was writing to a people who hadn't met Jesus face-to-face. That's so important to understand. He was so desperate to... I got to teach you about this mentor that I had and he's gone, but he sent his spirit. 
He's trying to teach people about a person that he'd met that they'd never met. You know that struggle when you're trying to teach someone about someone you love that they haven't met? This is Peter. This is what he's grappling for. But he goes, I've been through it. I've seen the transition and you got to have it. So come with me. And that's why he wrote the letter. So 1 Peter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 12, but we're going to start with the first two verses because there's a whole lot in here. 1 Peter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiled, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to be obedient to Jesus and sprinkled with His blood, grace and peace to you in abundance. So although we don't know the exact time that this letter was written, we know that Peter's life came to an end sometime between 64 A.D. and 68 A.D. in Rome during a season of persecution at the hands of Emperor Nero. Rome was still in charge. And this was an epic an epic Emperor Nero, the last of a long legacy of emperors in Rome. Peter, his life ended upside down on a cross, crucified upside down. He was martyred for his faith. And we know that that happened between 64 AD and 68 AD, so this could have been written somewhere between 40 AD and, and 60 AD. That's, that's the time frame, that's the window. So that's when he wrote it. He wrote the letter from Rome. And there's two observations to be made here in this text, these first two verses. One has to do with being exiles, and the other has to do with being chosen. So those were two realities. God's elect, people were scattered as exiles, and they were chosen. Those two things were going on. Unlike Paul, who writes to believers in a particular location, as we see throughout the 13 letters that he wrote in the New Testament, which Paul wrote, Peter writes more of a shotgun blast. If, if Paul was a sniper, and one bullet, one place, delivering a message, this is a shotgun blast. This is going all over the church, scattered across Asia Minor. In fact, we have a, a map of that, if you could put that up, John. This is modern-day Turkey. This is where the message went out to all the provinces, this, these, these, these provinces across the Roman Empire. So Bithynia and Pontus, as we see in the letter, Cappadocia, Galatia, Right? All of these different places where Jesus, his message had gone through the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter is writing to this whole region. He calls these people exiles who were scattered. And traditional interpretations of Peter's address seem to think that although physical exile might have been part of what was going on for them, it's more likely that Peter is driving a much deeper reality home. Exiles physically maybe, but definitely exiles of the world, saying, although we're here on this rock, this earth for a minute, this is not our home. This will come out in the text as we read it. A worldview that Peter held, we've been talking about the importance of worldviews, the way that we view the world. He held a worldview that recognized that the temporary benefits that are given to us in this life are worth nothing in comparison that comes with the risk when we go out to do something on the limb in our relationship with Jesus for eternity. 
Yeah, there's some good stuff in this life, but man, it pales in comparison to what happens if you risk everything here to get what's coming next. This was important. Peter formed these convictions from a deep place of authenticity and personal experience because he'd been with Jesus. His story is fascinating. Again, it's mentioned all throughout the Gospels and the book of Acts. Peter was wise and he took good inventory of his experiences. That's where he came up with all this stuff because he thought, God's doing something here. If I pay attention to the things that have been happening in my life and process them, well, I bet some wisdom would come. And if I bet I put little nuggets of wisdom together for my whole life, I might get wise and I might write a book in the Bible. I don't think that was his goal, but it happened because the wisdom that the Lord gave him, he stewarded his suffering well so that future generations could know the hope of Jesus. Isn't that a good thing to take into our sufferings? That if we steward the junk in our own lives well, it might be good for somebody else later. That motivates me to lean in. Because it's others focused. So I'm not going to just shy around the suffering and just complain about it while I'm in it. No, I'm going to glean something from it and bring hope to future generations. So there was this idea of exiles, right? Exiles scattered. This world is not our home. We're living for a future glory. And the second is that Peter was chosen by Jesus. He makes it a point in his first letter to pass that love on to all these scattered exiles. They were chosen. Ekletos is the word in the Greek. It means the best of its kind or class. Chosen for obedience and faithful action. That's what the people were chosen for. Not some kickball game in an elementary school campus. They weren't chosen for that. They were chosen for radical obedience and faithful action. And when they were chosen, it meant that they were the best of their kind. So when God comes after us, He says, You're the best of its kind because you were made in My image. I broke the mold with you, Hal Covey. Didn't make one like you. I hope. I'll take a few more of you. Broke the mold. We're chosen. Peter had his audience in mind. He knew who he was speaking to. He knew that predominantly he was speaking to in this context in Turkey, not Jews. He was speaking to Gentiles. He was speaking to all of us who were not Jewish by blood, but invited into the family because of the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. He knew that he was talking to people who knew that their only shot was through the blood of Jesus as adopted kids. He wrote to them, and so he proclaims that Jesus Christ is the new Israel. He's comprised of Jewish and Gentile believers all together. Peter knew who he was speaking to when he said adoption matters. Secondly, there's a missional understanding for us. We've been chosen by God, top of the class, adopted into his family. To risk it all in terms of what we have in this temporary home, that many more will find a home with Jesus forever. Is that our missional engagement strategy, to realize what we've been given and what others might receive if we go through hardship on their behalf? We're not sadistic. We're not seeking persecution. But I might seek opposition because I know what it produces. I only know what it produces because I tried it once. And I hit my head on it. And I tried it again. 
and tried it again. But I realized, you know what? None of these things have taken me out yet. So I don't get prideful in myself, but I take pride in my Jesus because He will lead me through every one of these things. Every single one of these things. So with that in mind, with that brewing, with all that experience, all of this, you've got to know my Savior. Coming, not even, he couldn't even like post a video on Snapshot so they could see the emphasis. He had to write a letter. So there was no articulation in it. They couldn't see, they couldn't hear the joy. But everything he had in him, and I think it was nailed down by the power of the Spirit, but in this letter that he writes, it's with all of that conviction that he then says, Praise be to the God of our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to Him. In His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power. That's us. We are shielded by God's power as we wait for this inheritance that's kept in heaven until the coming of salvation that is to be revealed in the last time. It's still coming. Keep waiting. Keep pressing in. And while you're in the waiting room, go through some opposition and bring somebody into the family with you. That's not in the text, but... The part about waiting for it to be revealed in the last time is verse 6. In all of this, everything I just shared with you, in all of this you greatly rejoice. Though for a little while, now let's be real guys, for a little while you may have had to deal with some grief and some suffering and all kinds of trials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These things, however, have come so that to prove the genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold. Gold which perishes even though refined by fire. May this result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now back to this part. Though you haven't seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So I just sat with that portion of the text for a couple hours the other day. And then I just kind of put myself into a conversation as if I was talking to Jesus because we hear from His Word. His Word communicates to us. So if His Word is Him speaking to me, then I can interact back with it. And it sounded a little bit like this, this conversation between me and Jesus on Wednesday afternoon. A new birth is kind of my revelation. A new birth, like this is an idea. A living hope. This is what we have access to, this realization. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, I have access to a new birth and a living hope. And there's an inheritance. That's good news. Anyone find out they got a call today and found out, hey, there's an inheritance waiting for you. Come down and let the attorney walk you through what you've received because somebody else died. Hmm. Jesus, walk me through what I've received because somebody else died, That somebody else being you. I've received something. You've got my attention. This inheritance is the last will and testament of God. It is reconciled relationship. And I'm thinking, well, where is it? Where, where can I find this? And you look in the text, it's like, I would want to know where it is. And I heard the Lord say to me, well, don't, don't worry about that yet. It's in heaven. It's safe. It's locked away. 
It's in the bank. No one can get to it. It's safe for you. That's where it is. And I'm thinking, well, what should I do now, Lord? And I felt like the Lord said, risk it all. Because you're playing with house money. It's like you walk in, right? And they just hand you a pile of cash and you can risk it all. I cannot outwork, outlast, outlove the grace of Jesus. It's just available to me. So I can risk it and I can give it away to everyone I see because I know that it will always be replenished. But it will never be new in me until I give it away. That's what makes us religious. Is when we think that there's this limited supply of God's grace and we have to hoard the thing. Every day, get it, give it away. Give it away, give it away, give it away. Risk it all. You're playing with house money, I felt the Lord said. And remember... When you go out there into scary places, you are shielded with my power as I'm interacting with the text. As you go to Bangladesh, Christiane, you are shielded by God's power. And you have something to give away to somebody that needs the hope in the midst of persecution. That's why this applies to what's happening right now. Well, till when, Lord? How long do I got to be out there in the fray? Well, until salvation comes in completeness, it will be revealed in the last days. Don't even worry about it. Well, it sounds great, God, but what, what about the struggle of today? Lord, the struggle's real. Do you know my struggle? He says, yeah, yeah, about that. Yeah, the struggle's real, but it's good for you. Don't forget that the struggle is good for you. So feel free to walk right through hell with a smile on your face. Trials and tribulations and persecutions and setbacks and disappointments come in different forms. That's what's so brilliant about this video, right? Two people walking through hell with a smile on their face. One on the streets and one without hearing in a dance studio. Not all of our struggles are the same. They're not equal, but they're equitable. The difference between the two, right? We can't look and say, my struggle's harder than yours, so you're disqualified. No, God gave us equitable struggles. It means He gave us the kinds of struggles that if we go through what God gave us individually, it will produce the same kind of thing, even if we get there through different paths. So don't ever poo-poo your struggle. Or don't ever take pride in it if you think it's more than somebody else's. It's equitable struggle. It's not all the same. I will never experience... Maybe. Never say never. I have not experienced the pain of being a refugee, exiled from my nation because of religious persecution. Yet. That's a different struggle, but I got one too. It's equitable. Does that make sense? It's equitable. And what's in, for, what's in it for me again? This is the question I'm asking Jesus. What's in it for me? And I felt like the Lord said, it's like I modeled for you on the cross. In the suffering, you will find the fullness of your salvation. And others will find me through your sacrifice and suffering. It's the same as the prophets did for you. And then I felt like the Lord said, keep reading. We can interact with the text this way because it's living and active. Verses 10 through 12. Keep reading, the Lord said, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care in search of this grace that would come, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when He predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. Isaiah specifically. 
searched intently to find the suffering Savior accounted in Isaiah 53. Verse 12, it was revealed to them, these prophets, that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told about you by those you have preached the gospel to, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. There's a coming. There's a presence. There's something new to wait for. The NIV study commentary says this about verses 10 through 12. Christianity was not a new upstart religion, but rather the culmination of God's plan from the beginning of time back to Adam and Eve. For it was the Spirit of Christ, Jesus Himself who has always been, who inspired the prophets of the Old Testament, such as Isaiah who foresaw the suffering of the Messiah and the glory that would follow. Those who follow in the footsteps of Jesus should also expect to suffer for their obedience to God. Those who follow in the footsteps of Jesus should also expect to suffer in their obedience to God. But after they suffer, they will enter into glory as Jesus did. Any present suffering becomes more bearable knowing the certainty of the hope that lies ahead. Boom. Isn't that beautiful? Through his death, we have a fresh start with God. We know who we are. Through his resurrection, we're adopted into his family. We know where we belong. And through His ascension and outpouring of the Spirit, we can live our lives in the face of opposition with an unmatched confidence because we know what we have in store. So we're going to take about seven minutes. We're going to do this again because it's summertime and I like it. We're going to break up into small groups again and grapple with this together. Groups of three or four like we did last weekend. And you're going to respond to two questions that are going to come up on the stage, on the screen. Question one. What trials are you facing today that if you walk through with a smile might result in a more genuine faith and a greater expression of praise? Second question, what trials are you avoiding that if you walk through with a smile could result in the same increase of faith and praise? Does that make sense? We good? All right, let's take about the next six or seven minutes and break up into groups of three or four and respond to those questions in light of this text. Amen? You've been listening to a podcast from South Everett Foursquare Church. For more information about us, please visit us online at www.southeverett.org.